0: You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager.
1: Welcome to All the Things. This is the show where we discuss all All the things. things related to God, the Bible, and real life. I'm Krista Bontrager, also known on social media as Theology Mom.
2: And I am Monique Dusan. Also known on social media as Monique <laughs> Doosan. That's right. There it is. Still working on my dot com. Still yeah, working right. on the dot com.
1: Yeah. What's your branding? What lane are you in? I'm pretty much doing it all wrong. So. It's okay. All right. Well, I thought uh, maybe we would start off the show this week by talking about the elephant in the room. I know people have been wondering.
2: <laughs> I don't know. I...
1: Yeah. I'm white. Oh. <laughs> this is the elephant in the room, Right. Right. And I'm going to be speaking for all white people on the show.
2: And, you know, I'm going to speak for all black people on the show Okay, because I am black. I will also potentially take up the role of Latinos (laughs) and Pacific Islanders because, hey, I have heritage.
1: There it is. You're Haitian. Yes. Part Haitian. Yes, I'm half Haitian. That's right. So it's just it's funny because people are like, are you ever going to talk about this? and like, yes, no, I don't know.
2: Well, do you ever find like, honestly, do you ever find that you're in a room somewhere and people are like, well, you're white. So what do you think?
1: Has that ever happened to you? Monique, you're
2: black. What do you think? Almost all of my college career. But yeah, I'm just wondering, like, seriously, has that happened to no, you? It's never happened to me. OK, yeah. I can remember sitting in classes
1: and being like, well, can you tell us the black perspective? <laughs> on On whatever said... Yes, topic is at hand as if all black people think the same. We must. Have the same point of view. We must. And are one homogeneous group.
2: Yes. And I can speak for all of us.
1: Okay. I'm glad we got that ironed out. Yes. So if you had black or
2: white questions, I'm black. And I'm white. And you can send in your questions about those things.
1: That's okay. Or we can just be the body of Christ and try to figure it out as we go scripturally. I kind of like that better, but I'm open to the other way too. Okay. Well, this is the show where we talk about all the things. So, and we do want to invite you to join us in the chat box. Uh, My daughter is in there monitoring the chat and also apparently putting together a Lego set. Um, So keep it clean. Uh, Post your question there on God, the Bible and real life. And she will alert us by raising her hand and oh, there's Bob, he's raising his hand. Are, are you gonna say hello to everyone? Bob, I'm, just, I'm just saying hello. I'm okay. just saying hello
0: here, oh, yes, hello, get it to my mic on, so.
1: I know, Bob needs like three arms every week. Thankfully, Emily uh, was here last week. Got but... a
0: lot to juggle here. So. Yeah,
1: I know. <laughs> but we do wanna have Bob chime in as he's able, cause he has some good thoughts about things. And a quick rundown on today's show is, uh, we're gonna talk about what makes a good pastor? Recently, I was browsing some uh, uh, pastor job descriptions on Indeed for something related to my work. And then you and I were kind of having a conversation about it. And you were also had been browsing some descriptions. And so we thought we would maybe share some thoughts about that. So we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. And since this is the show where we talk about all the things, we're going to talk about something really controversial. Divorce. Ding, 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 ding. I'm going there. Controversial winner. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully you're going to go there
2: with me. Yeah, I have never been married. Oh, OK. And so divorce to me, hey. I, I can step into the realm. Okay. Yes. We can, we can but, go there. But
1: it does pertain to you in that uh, you've worked in the realm of people dealing with domestic violence. Yes. And you have worked as a pastor in a church. And you've seen worked with a lot of children who have been part of divorced marriages. So it, I it, am the product of a divorce. Yeah. So, yeah. so it does definitely affect you. OK, so oh, good. Uh, Debbie says, good topic. And Juwad, our Muslim friend, is back. Hey. Hey, we're so glad you're here. And I'm so glad you're there, because that was going to be the next thing in my notes. Because I wanted to make a comment about Juwad's question from last week. We thought it was so good. We talked about it when we got off the air. And we thought the question um, was about why is the center of Christianity, why is the focus of that on a human sacrifice, which is the uh, death of Jesus? And we thought it was such a great question. I wanted to get a special guest on board to help us talk about the question, because I'm thinking it's probably a question on a lot of people's minds. And so my special guest, however, is in Turkey right now, doing some speaking. And so he's agreed to be on the show in April. So Jawad, we're just going to ask you to to be patient, but we want to know that we really value yes. your question and we value it so much. We wanted to get somebody special on board to to talk about it with us and have an extended conversation. So God willing, um, it'll be in two weeks awesome. uh, that we will have that conversation. So I just want to let you know that that is coming. So. Let's talk about job descriptions, and this is, I think, a question that is important uh, to kind of set the table here because there might be some people who are not Christians who watch the show, and we don't want to come across as like um, confusing to them okay. of of you know just being nitpicky about about things. But Fair. I think it's a it's important sometimes for us as Christians to step back and kind of notice. What are we doing? <laughs> how are we showing up for our lives and checking in to see is what we're doing really aligning with the scriptures? Because I don't know about you, but I think that a lot of our notions about pastors or what the Bible calls our shepherds or the mm-hmm. the people who are kind of in charge of the spiritual flocks, um, we get really in a system of our American ideas of this is how. A pastor should look yes and um, when we start looking at it globally in other countries or historically it can look different and I think that's important for us to think about what are we doing is it biblical is it historical does it reflect Christianity as as a whole and we're not trying to be overly critical here we're just kind of trying to have an interesting conversation looking at these issues Yes. I think
2: for me, when I think of the role of pastor, part of my first thing is, do you pray? Oh, do you pray? What should you be doing? Well, yeah. What are some of the just core competencies needed to be a pastor and or to be a shepherd? And when I look at the job descriptions, it's like, well, can do you know Microsoft Word?
1: Yeah. So let's look at Can some job together. A PowerPoint? Yeah. Let's look at a few job descriptions. We went on various websites for, for churches and just captured a few snippets. So Bob's going to put some of these up here, some qualifications. This is in particular for a children's pastor position. They're looking for love kids. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yep. You want to feel called to work with kids experience, education, Uh, experience with working with a diverse population of kids and families, good communication skills, love working on a team, experience with recruiting and leading volunteer teams and having an appreciation for orange curriculum, which is a big, huge kind of mega curriculum that's used by a lot lot of evangelical churches and children's ministries. So these were some potential position qualifications
2: there. But when I look at that, I'm like, is this a position or a job description for somebody applying for the Y or someone applying for the church? Shouldn't those be threaded out a little bit more? Shouldn't there be more distinct things about character? And things like that like this just says like i need to love kids i can love kids and not believe coach Lilly. you know what i mean yeah
1: yeah it's that's an interesting point because um sometimes these job descriptions have a tendency to sound i think more like you're hiring a project coordinator mm-hmm. than you are a holy spirit filled pastor or shepherd so let's look at another one here uh, see if Bob's can get another one. provide oversight for all classes, teachers, assistants, perform a review of curriculum and its effectiveness. That's good. create systems of workflow, ensuring ministry is safe and organized, prepare to teach the lesson, um, and then leading training. But again, to me, this is not too dissimilar to hiring a project coordinator. Yes there's not a lot in there that would tell me this is it requires me to, operate in the power of the Holy Spirit to do these things. I don't know. (laughs) Am I reading too much into that? No, I don't
2: think so. But I also wonder where is the emphasis on Holy Spirit? Where is the emphasis on the spiritual side of things? Or are we as the body in this day and age just like okay this these are the core competencies these are the things that we really need to get done and just
1: assuming that holy spirit will come in on the back end yeah that's a great point and because there's not a lot in the job descriptions as i was flowing through them on indeed that even talked about somebody who was holy spirit filled or knew how to operate with the holy spirit or, or what the holy spirit's role would be mm-hmm. in the ministry let's look at a few scripture passages just to contrast these i um Maybe, uh, Bob, could you bring up like the Matthew passage or Galatians 5? He's working on it. we got a team of people working behind the scenes. There it is, Galatians 5. is a great one I always like to talk about is the fruit of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I mean, these are the basics that every Christian should display. But I, I think as a Christian leader, we ought to see these things really in full force in our pastors. Like how often is that been a part of job interviews, mm-hmm. you know, of noticing fruit of the spirit? How, how often is that in uh, measured when, when pastors uh, are getting a job and asking for references? Like yeah. how well does this person display the, the fruit of the Holy spirit? I, I think that's an important qualification. Just a little bit. <laughs> Let's, let's look at uh, Matthew or uh, Luke chapter nine. Let's see if Bob can get that up there. Uh, Luke chapter nine. This is when Jesus sends out. I'm glad to see Abby has successfully completed the Lego project. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's flying her. Uh, uh, yeah. Hold it up there, Abby. So everyone can see oh my God, why? you're on the, on the camera. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. We got the Lego project put together. Cause when you're 15, you're not too old. I'm 16. So You're almost 16 next week. There it is, silhouette. There's the Lego project. It was successfully completed. All right. All right, back to Job more... descriptions. Yes, job descriptions. <laughs> Luke chapter 8. So Jesus uh, sending out the 12, and he, he does a very similar thing in the very next chapter in Luke chapter 10 to the 72. And he says he gives them power and authority to drive out demons, mm-hmm. cure diseases, sends them out to proclaim the kingdom, heal the sick. And they went from village to village, proclaiming the good news, healing everyone. That to me kind of sounds like some functions of a job of what Jesus expected disciples to do. Heal the sick, cast out demons. Uh, there's other passages where they raised the dead and they proclaimed the good news. Now, in your experience in Africa, what did, what qualifications did you see there of, of pastors? What was expected of them as leaders? Well, I think
2: not only of pastors, but just of like, okay, you said that you're saved. You have accepted Jesus in your heart. Okay. Here is the first step. The first step is, are you filled with the Holy spirit? Have you, have you been baptized? Um, what are your beliefs? This is what we believe. We believe that you will heal the sick and you will raise the dead. Like these are the functions of an active Christian.
1: You were saying at the old church you attended in Africa, Like the very first kind of basic training class, if you went to their Bible school, was Christian thought one type of a thing. What we would think here is sort of an introduction to philosophy and doctrine over there was, okay, do you have the Holy Spirit? Yeah. You know, do you know how to give words of, of words of knowledge, prophetic words? Do you know how to heal the sick? Do you know how to cast out demons? I mean, a completely different emphasis
2: and it's a different yeah it is a a different emphasis but it's what's expected there there's no doubt like this is what we do yeah and so for pastors even more so like you need to be not just able to teach it or tell someone about it, but you should be walking in this every day. This is your everyday life, not just like, oh, we have this expectation um, because it's your job, but this is you're a Christian, so this is how you live. This is the outworking of your Christianity in your life. Yeah,
1: it's very interesting to me, and it makes me wonder um, in comparing and contrasting the American church, the Western church with churches in in Asia and in Africa, it feels like for many churches in the West, we experience sort of this powerless Christianity, this this type of Christianity that uh, people are leaving our churches. Mm -hmm. And because it just doesn't seem very powerful, the message that we have. And yet churches are exploding in other countries because people are, I think, by and large, so much more, engaged with their faith on some level like it costs them more there's more at risk and but they're also walking I think many times not all the time but many times more in the power of the Holy Spirit it just makes me wonder like are we have we veered off path in the leadership and what we look for in a Christian leader in our churches does that have any connection to the type of Christianity that we practice as being so powerless. I think
2: you're on to something there. And what initially came to my mind is the why. I think I jumped to why maybe first. And I'm wondering, is it a thing of churches needing to be perceived a certain way or look a certain way? And so, like, we look like we have all of this together. So you can project coordinate or, you know, run a program and it helps us to look like it's all together rather than you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you are walking in the gifts and signs and wonders. But maybe this part of maybe the children's ministry is kind of, you know, a little, you know, running amok. The kids aren't in it exactly a straight line. Yeah. So I'm, I just wonder if for perception's sake we need some of these other things
1: like we kind of need to have the appearance of looking more like mainstream business culture is that what you're saying
2: i'm not sure if it's mainstream business culture but just this appearance that we have it all together Got it. like i've sat down and had church in zambia under a bush with some kids and that was church and we prayed there were no and we, videos? There were, there were no videos. There were it was no orange curriculum. I didn't have, you know, all of these nice props and things like that. I had a cow walk by and a pig in the background, and that was okay. <laughs> and the we, children still learned? They still learned. They there was still, no internet? None of that. Okay. But they could still tell you what they learned. They could tell you who the Bible person or story was about, you know, and those things, and it, it didn't look anything like what we look like here. And that doesn't mean that it needs to necessarily look a certain way. Like, I don't think that the church in Upland needs to replicate the church in Lusaka. But I do think that there is something to be said for the perception that people want to give off here.
1: Yeah. And I, that makes me wonder, and Juwad's got a question. And I'm going to go right to you in just a minute. I see you there, brother. Um, I think, I'm, I'm wondering, like, as a pop question, we haven't discussed this yet, but I'm just wondering. Here like, she goes with the pop questions, I know. y'all.
2: Let me <laughs> go <gone>, on, get ready. <laughs> okay.
1: Here we go. I'm wondering, in your experience, do you think that it's just as important for a children's pastor to be Holy Spirit-filled, to know how to walk in the power and authority of the Holy Spirit, to pray for the sick, and and to to um, cast out demons and to proclaim the gospel and to display the fruit of the spirit. Like, do you feel like those are just as important for you as a, as someone who's, who's been a children's pastor?
2: I may have bias, but I would say even more so like the things that each upcoming generation faces to me, tends to be a little bit deeper, have a little bit more darkness, you know, kind of tied in. And if I'm not connected with Holy Spirit, what am I depositing into our children and how am I sending them out into the world? The attrition rate of, you know, young people in the church is vast and stark and very surprising. And so I believe that when they, when, when they know from a young age who Jesus is and who they are in Christ and what power they hold that is the time to get them, not mm-hmm. when they are, you know, teenagers. teenagers or trying to come back into church yeah. or things like that. Do you know who you are now at five? Do you know that you can pray for someone and they be healed now and you're
1: five? We were just watching a video last night about yeah, that four year old with, with a, a little girl, kindergartner, praying. Uh, someone was teaching her how to pray for healing mm-hmm. uh, in a street situation. She was laying hands on this sick person and praying for them. And, yes. and, Trusting in Jesus for that, and and that was pretty pretty I awesome. I think it's awesome, and one of the things
2: that, and I'll just be honest, frustrates me is I think a lot of children's ministries want it all to be fun, and I I love to have fun. I think that children's ministry should be extremely big so that kids know that God, we serve a big God. He is bigger than all of us and yet wants to meet us relationally. But if I am only concerned with how much fun my kids have, I I will never get to the place and they will never get to the place of understanding how loved they are by God. Mm. And so, yeah, it just, I'm like, we can all have fun, but fun is also relative. What I think is fun might not be fun to you and vice versa. So when a kid tells me, well, today wasn't fun. Don't worry. Come back next week. (laughs) <laughs> you might feel you know it might be a little bit more fun then but who was David and what did he do and why is he important and why was he a man after God's own heart
1: well I think that's another topic I want to yeah. save that because that's getting into a whole realm of biblical yeah, literacy we just, that, yeah we could have another we can have I another, we can have another rant tangent. about sorry everyone <laughs> but this I think it's good just just to think step back like I said at the setup is step back think about how are we showing up is the kind of leaders that we're recruiting into the church into to be our shepherds does that are we having them really do the things that jesus taught his disciples to do are they walking in it are they walking in the fruit of the holy spirit are they walking in the power and authority of the gospel are they displaying uh, titus one is another passage we didn't get to but i want to encourage people to read um the first pap uh, chapter of Titus because talks about the the qualities of a lead, a good leader. That mm-hmm. He's humble. He doesn't love money. He's not a greedy person. I mean, that's a whole other area. That's era. a whole, whole. other
2: situation <laughs> yeah. that I could go way down Robin Hood's barn on, yeah. and I won't.
1: <laughs> well, that would be another conversation, yes. just working our way through Titus chapter one because that, and um, yeah, if you look in Titus 1, uh, Verses five to nine ish, but I think one of the the things that I see there is that um, he should not be overbearing, not quick tempered, um, not greedy. He must be hospitable, love what is good, self controlled, upright, holy, disciplined, and firmly hold to the trustworthy message. That and know how to
2: use Microsoft Word. That's at the end of the verse, right? <laughs> right
1: know how to manage projects and teams and organize volunteers uh those are some powerful descriptors Mm -hmm. for the type of leader that god wants in his household and um i don't know about you but I haven't been to a ton of interviews. You've probably been to more job interviews than me. But... What you're trying to say about my job history? No. But, you know, <laughs> I'm saying that I've been at the same job for a very long time. But, um, you know, I think it's interesting because I can't imagine a job interview where they ask me, like, are you a, a person who um, is greedy? Mm. Like, mm-hmm. what's your lifestyle of your finances? What's mm-hmm. your financial discipline? That's a, yeah. That's a, that's a very personal question. going after my wallet now yes
2: don't come for my money
1: (laughs) but christians have historically um not had the greatest reputation when it comes to greed and money and church leadership so maybe that's a question we need to be asking yeah in job interviews i can see that so i don't know those are some things what are your thoughts yeah we would love to hear from you jump on the live chat and tell us some of the things so Laura says absolutely thanks Laura for joining us all right let's get to our friend Juad's question he's noticed noticing the differences in evangelicals uh, allowing pastors to get married versus um our Catholic our Roman Catholic friends first of all Juad you you must have like a lot of Christian friends because you kind of know a lot of the the lingo or makes me wonder if you used to be an evangelical or something but um you're absolutely right to to notice that difference between evangelicals and pastor we we our pastors can either be married or single. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but in Catholicism, uh, to be a priest is to be single. Now, in Orthodoxy, we want to say, uh, don't want to miss out our friends who are in the East, our Christian friends who are in the East. They allow their priests to marry. So, um, it's only in the Roman Catholic tradition which is the more ancient tradition in the West uh, where priests uh, are not allowed to marry but both in the Orthodox side, which is the Eastern version of Christianity as well as Protestants we allow our our ministers right. to be to, to be married So that's a that's a very good um, point of, Clarification and there are three kind of major expressions of Christianity. They all have the same core doctrines and the same core beliefs, but I call them expressions because The Eastern expression is the Orthodox the Western expressions are Roman Catholics and then Protestants are an offshoot of that. And if you want to know more about all of that. I have a really Great longer message on my YouTube channel called why are there so many churches and you can check that out. So kind of breaks it all down for you historically. Okay. Are there any other, um, questions? Abby's over there playing club penguin or something. I don't know. We got to get some more action in the chat so that Abby will stay on top of it. There dad just revealed your screen to, uh, the world there <laughs> or at least our seven viewers. Oh yeah. <laughs> she quickly puts it back. There it is. Thank you to the teenager. Okay. So let's, yes. So let's talk about divorce. All right. I get letters Mm -hmm. nearly every week from people that uh, have previewed my teaching series on difficult marriage and divorce. And I think Bob's got a little graphic he can put up there of the playlist. And you can see uh, the title of the series is called, What Does the Bible Really Teach About Divorce? So if people want to go there for the longer version of this conversation they can go check out my youtube series but it it uh is an interesting topic
2: it is an interesting topic and when i think about divorce i just want to run right into the hard things of like god hates divorce like this is what let's just I cut read right in, to the chase yeah and what is it malachi two sixteen. god yeah. hates divorce don't do it and Jesus turns around and says that if you, like, divorce your wife, then you cause her to have adultery for the rest of her life. Right. And I have thoughts about that. And I'm like, Jesus, really?
1: <laughs> like, Did you really mean that?
2: Like, really? Like, that, that sounds a little deep.
1: Yeah. So I got interested in this topic because divorce affects me personally. I was raised by a single mother. You were raised by a single mother. Yep. Um, my parents were married for about eight and a half years and then got divorced when I was about two years old. And so I grew up most of my childhood, all of my childhood that I can remember, um, was with just with my mother. And, uh, I remember in the seventies, uh, when I was growing up that I did not have any friends who had divorced parents. It was much more rare than it is now. And Uh, Growing up in the church, um, I felt very alone. There was nobody else who was like me. And it wasn't until I was in the fifth grade that I met my friend Mindy, whose parents were divorced. And then they got remarried when I was in the seventh grade. And so then they weren't divorced anymore. But that was my first friend I ever made at church who had divorced parents and and somebody that I felt like was sort of like me.
2: That's so interesting because I grew up late eighties, early nineties and knew no one who had an intact family. Wow. I knew no one whose parents were married and it wasn't until I was probably in junior high, like the middle of junior high where I met someone, we moved and went to a different school and their parents were both together. And I was like, what is this? What is happening? And I remember my mother didn't let me go to their house because there was a man in the house. Interesting. Which is a whole nother conversation. But, <laughs> yeah, it's funny how divorce plays different roles on different sides of the table. Yeah.
1: I think growing up in the church uh, with a divorced mother, I felt... Definitely as an outsider, Mm -hmm. like at that time, our church has changed since the 70s. But at that time, they wouldn't even make a provision for a Sunday school class for people who were divorced because it was looked upon as being almost like the unpardonable sin. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a scarlet letter. And you that thankfully changed. As I grew up, I saw changes in the, the church culture and they began to make more of a provision but in the beginning, like, it was so hush-hush that, you know, when people were divorced. Now we almost live in a culture where single parenthood is almost normalized. Mm-hmm. Like, a third of children are born out of wedlock. And it's, it's not as big of a deal now as it, as it was. And churches are more prepared. There's uh, divorce support groups yeah. that many churches have. Uh, Because they just recognize that divorce is an experience that many people go through.
2: I think it's awesome that we can even sit and have a conversation because I think in talking with you previously, like the subject of divorce was hush-hush and taboo and no one even talked about it. so.
1: So, all right, well, let's put some of those passages up. The first is the Malachi passage that Monique quoted a few minutes ago. The New American Standard says, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. And I get this. This is almost like the one verse that everybody knows about divorce mm-hmm. from from the Bible. And even like some people who are not Christians know this verse. And they immediately will will quote that to me. And I think that that's, that's a good place to start, because if you notice, I put the It's the New American Standard version of the Bible. But if you start looking at other translations, I think I have another, I have the NIV um, of this passage and we can see more in context. It says, has not the, the one God made you, you belong to him in body and spirit. And what is the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife says the Lord. The God of Israel does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. This is a very tricky verse um, in terms of how it is translated and most of the more recent translations have recognized the translators were allowing some of their personal bias Mm -hmm. to come into the translation. And that a better translation is that uh, what it's saying is that it's the man who despises his marriage is the, is the pronoun that's in question. Mm-hmm. It's not God hating divorce. It's, it's an injunction against a husband is, is don't hate your marriage. Don't, yeah. don't be in contempt of your marriage. And so it's actually kind of an urban legend that God has said, I hate divorce. Now that's not to say that God's totally on board with divorce, like let's just have free range divorce. But we want to set the record straight that the best scholars and the best translations um, can tell you that that's that's not actually what, what that verse says. So we have to get that on the table first. And that starts to bring, I think, a level of freedom. I've, I, I don't know about you and your work with domestic violence victims, but I talk to a lot of women who are in abusive marriages and that single verse, the bad translation of that single verse, has kept, people has kept mm-hmm. abused women in marriages. Yes. Have you ever run into that where you've talked to those women?
2: Yes, or women who are finally being able to walk out of their marriage, but it's, you know, 10 or 15 years of solid abuse. And then it's like, but I really don't want to displease the Lord. He hates this. My church will shun me, Um, you know, just looking at all of the repercussions of divorce based on what we read in some translations of the Bible. And
1: I think the real concern what women are saying when they say that and some men who are abused Mm -hmm. is we want to acknowledge that there is a minority of men, but a very real group of men who get abused in their marriages as well. In fact, I was just reading one of those letters to you last night from a man that I received recently. Um, It was in an abusive marriage. What those people are really concerned about is... God hates divorce. I'm afraid if I leave my spouse, God's going to hate, hate me. me. That's the real concern. And many of them are honestly too afraid to go talk to their pastor. And so they're the person sitting across from you in Starbucks or your your friend. Mm-hmm. Your small group member of your small group or your life group and they're saying, "I don't know what to do about this. I'm I'm in this difficult marriage. I feel trapped." I feel unsafe, but I don't want what's latent, even if it's not in their words, it's Mm -hmm. latent in their feelings. I don't want God to hate me. And I think that that bad, very unfortunate translation has kept a lot of people in abusive situations. situations. I would agree. Yeah. So I want to lay that out as, as some groundwork. Now let's look at some of Jesus's words in uh, Matthew chapter five as part of the Sermon on the Mount. It says, it has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, I want to talk through this a little bit. Because and I really want you
2: to because when you when we were talking about this in preparation earlier, you broke it all the way down. And I was like, OK, and the way that you did it was so clear that I think it would be helpful for either someone watching, someone who knows someone who's going through divorce. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that when you're in that Starbucks moment, yes. you have something to say. Yes. That, that's what the hope is here. So if you could put that graphic back up there for me, Bob, I'm just going to kind of step people through Matthew five. So it says anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Well, what's really important there is um, to understand a practice that some people uh, engage in even today in Middle Eastern, some Middle Eastern cultures, um, but it was a practice back then of sending a wife away that, that you could literally send a wife away for any reason. Where do you send her?
2: Just away. Where, it, like, is away a
1: place? It could be you just throw her out of your house or you just abandon the marriage. Um, maybe slowly over time. But that you are, you are basically saying this woman no longer pleases me. And it could be over anything. It could be over you don't like her cooking or you no longer find her attractive. Or you don't think that she performs sexually the way that you would prefer. It can literally be almost any reason and you can send her away. Maybe she just got too old. Maybe you would prefer a younger wife. But the idea here of sending the woman away, the wife away, is a, a, was a common practice then. And so, In Matthew 19, Jesus gets a similar question from the Pharisees is, for what reason can you send a wife away is what they're asking. Is it for, because there were kind of two schools of thought, you know, Mm -hmm. is it for any reason or does it need to be for a specific reason? And I think what Jesus is highlighting here, because both times he brings up this business about the certificate of divorce and it's referring back to the law, the Mosaic law. What I think is really important to understand is that Jesus wants women to be protected, that he knows that human hearts are sinful. And and he says um, that the certificate of divorce is required, I think, because if the woman is still tethered to this man, if they're still technically married, She's never been given a certificate of divorce. She's just been sent away wherever mm-hmm. away is. You're basically she's being relegated to a life of poverty or prostitution or both, wow. and she doesn't have a way of of taking care of herself or whatever children are attached to her, and so the 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 husband can just arbitrarily send her away, send the children with her and then get, bring another woman into the house to start acting as a wife. But, but she's still tethered to him because he hasn't granted her a certificate of divorce. And so Moses's injunction, I think, is a recognition that if you're going to get rid of your wife, if you're going to send her away, give her a certificate of divorce. And what it, it would really help bridge the cultural divide. If we had a a little phrase in there so that she could get remarried Hmm. so that she wouldn't be relegated to poverty and prostitution, because I think the certificate of divorce is actually God's grace to the woman so that she will be free to remarry and not be relegated to poverty. And so I think it's important to put all of these verses in their historical context um, so okay. we have, oh, wow. Oh, okay. Some great questions. God, does God hate divorce? That was your very question. Okay. So hopefully we covered that for you. Can a Christian divorce on the grounds of domestic, I think uh, domestic violence maybe and remarriage. It's a great question. So let's get into that because what I think is happening, what Jesus is saying here is that if somebody abandons their marriage, which to me is a, the closest analog to what Jesus is talking about. Mm -hmm. If you abandon your marriage, be gracious to your spouse and divorce them already. Let them go, untether them so that they can live. Um, Don't keep them bound to you legally, uh, then they can't move on. And I think that that's what the Jesus's words are about the adultery because it's, it, it if you look at the word in Greek there, what we translate divorce is really the letting go. It's the sending away. So what it literally says is if you send her away, then she's going to commit adultery. Well, of course she is. And so are you because you're still married to her and she can't get married to someone else and you're sleeping with the new woman. It's a big adulterous soup. And Mm -hmm. so the certificate of divorce recognizes the hardness of the hearts of human persons.
2: So then the certificate of divorce would allow for the remarriage.
1: I think so. And that it's, it's untethering the person legally and, and unbinding them, uncoupling them so that, that they can both move on and not be committing adultery on each other. The, the, the difficulty is that God's ideal, when we look at the Matthew 19 passage, Jesus immediately in response to the Pharisees question is, is he says, look, you know, the scriptures, you know what it says. He quotes Genesis two, that the man and the woman would come together Mm -hmm. and that they would be one. That's God's ideal. But then Genesis 3 happens, which is the fall. Yes. And that's where we are. That's our current reality. And so the certificate of divorce recognizes the sinful condition. And it provides what I call a a bridge of grace so that people don't get tethered forever to somebody who has abandoned the marriage and broken their marriage vows. So I don't take the position that um, adultery is the only grounds, the only biblical grounds for divorce. I think that's a bad translation. I think it's what Jesus is talking about. There is when the marriage is abandoned, when, you basically are physically sending someone away or emotionally sending someone away. You're leaving the marriage behind. What Jesus is saying is give them a certificate of divorce. Let them move on and you move on and just recognize the hardness of, of the heart to not reconcile and not repent. So going back to the question from a few minutes ago from the viewer about um, domestic violence and remarriage, I. I just, honestly, I I get this question a lot, and here's where I'm at with it, is I can't picture a scenario in scripture, I can't find a verse where it said Jesus or any, or in the Mosaic law, that tells people you must stay in an abusive marriage and get hit every day and yeah. get kicked in the stomach and get kicked in the head. Or be and that's emotionally
2: God- abused and scarred. And every that's day. God's
1: will for your life. And you just got to suck it up and, and tolerate it. Yes. Like when, when I see that covenant, it's a two way covenant. The man makes commitments. The woman makes commitments, but if the commitments are broken, the contract is broken then to me there's there's a reason to to start uncoupling that because the hardness of our hearts now if the person repents then i think it's a different conversation about reconciliation and restoration but i'm not a person who advocates for marriage at all costs yes because i saw the outworking of that in my own parents marriage and the difficulties that were there and the abuse that was there and it was God's grace to me as a child that my mother left that behind the damage that would have happened would have been much worse.
2: I agree as a, you know, a child of divorce. I do agree. I, when I think about marriage and friends who have been divorced, I always think of God loving someone more than he loves something, Hmm. you know? So like, the, the contract of marriage, yes, God honors and loves marriage, but he does not want you to die at the cost of a marriage. Yeah. Does that make sense? He doesn't love
1: the marriage more, more than, than he, the, the people. Than, yeah,
2: than the people who are in the marriage. yeah
1: So it's kind of reminding me of the Sabbath. Like, you know, he made the Sabbath for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's, it's you know, he, he loves people. It's it, But it is a hard issue, and, and there is no, like, direct verse I can point people to that says, like, hey, here's the verse of your exit strategy from a domestic violence situation. But I would say that um, I can't find a verse either that says you must stay. Can you
2: please speak? Because I was... <laughs> You have okay. so many questions. I do. Had a conversation with a gentleman a while ago, and this very topic came up. And I was like, you know, if I, I'm not, you know, as nice and polite as I might seem across the screen, but like, you know, if you hit me, things might get a little interesting.
1: <laughs> you know? Are you saying you wouldn't tolerate a man hitting you in your marriage?
2: You know, I could say... And in the name of Jesus? Not in the name of Jesus. And I can say that now, sitting on this side in singleness, but I have walked a road with many women who have at the same time been in my shoes and said, oh my gosh, I would never, and did. And so I can't can't sit here and say, oh my God, like I would never. What my hope and prayer is, is that I would never. But I was having a conversation with someone and was like, no, like I don't, I wouldn't be... able to live in that. And that's like I said, me sitting on this side of singleness now, but the response was, you know, well, God hates divorce and his grace is sufficient for anything that you face. So aside from infidelity, his grace is sufficient. What would you say to someone who comes across with that Bible verse? Like, well, you know, it's not infidelity. And God says you can't divorce for anything aside from infidelity and his grace is sufficient to keep you.
1: Yeah, and I think that's just the perfect scenario for what I've been talking about is, we got some, when you look in, and I'm not doing any gymnastics, you can go on Bible Gateway Mm -hmm. and look up Matthew 5 and put in the Mount's Greek New Testament interlinear, and you can see that it's what the word literally means. Our American concept of divorce is one thing, but what's happening in the text there is not the same thing. And it's this, this, this Middle Eastern, ancient Middle Eastern practice of sending a woman away and for any reason, any reason that the man considers indecent, as it says in the Mosaic law. And it, I would just have to respectfully say, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that that passage means what you think it means. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I have uh, one of the videos in my divorce series I take to task. The, the movie War Room, where um, it really sends a message, I think, to Christian women that the answer to an abusive marriage is prayer. Um, that might be the answer, but you also might need to go find your local neighborhood domestic violence shelter. Yes. Temporarily. You might need to go educate yourself and enroll in some uh, group therapy and start to grow an awareness in your soul About how the domestic violence has warped your view of your relationship with your spouse. You might need some help and support to get out of that situation. And yes, you can pray for people. And yes, God's grace will be sufficient for you in whatever you walk through. But I am not convinced that it is the biblical position that a person must stay in an abusive marriage. I, I just, I i can't imagine that scenario in, in the heart of the father mm-hmm. toward his children. And I can't find that verse. I, I just can't. So he, you ready to be really controversial? Here, here's where I'm going to really go is I think that the church leadership, pastors, elders, deacons, when we think about... um Funds for the poor, we take collections sometimes for the poor in the church to make food provisions. I think we need to allocate, think about allocating and asserting a percentage of those funds toward getting, hiring very good attorneys for people in the church who are in abusive marriages. One in seven people in our pews. One in seven pastors, one in seven. That's one person on every pew in your church is in an abusive marriage and we need some percentage of that money in those offerings to go and be designated to hire very good attorneys that will protect the vulnerable. You want to talk about social justice? That's where, that's where my heart goes is protecting the vulnerable and the weak because so I have talked to so many women who don't leave abusive husbands because they can't afford a good attorney.
2: Yes. And I would even like to say, just acknowledging like, yes, we should have, well, we should there. have the, the funds available, but can we acknowledge the reality of what's happening inside of the church?
1: Yeah. Okay. So we got a lot of questions. Let's see. There were more at the top. There were more at the top so I don't know if we can scroll up to there.
0: Let's see. Uh, I can't scroll. So we can't uh... scroll.
1: All right. So,
0: you want me to read uh, Juwad's uh, question here? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Make sure that I'm being heard here. My mic is up. Okay. So uh, he said, as to getting divorced, I think that the evangelical churches are the most lenient regarding allowing it in contrast to the Catholic churches, which are the toughest. The Eastern churches are in middle.
1: I think that's a very thoughtful point, Jawad, because I think that... Um, in practice sometimes evangelicals have swung too far the other direction in some cases I've seen both I've had many experiences with women who are in abusive marriages and afraid to leave but I also think that there are some people who leave marriages for really not good reasons
2: I don't like your shoes today
1: I don't like your shoes today yeah no I think it's a very thoughtful thoughtful point and I do not want to be the prophet for divorce I just want to say, like, hey, let's have a recognition of what the Bible really says. And we had one comment up there that somebody says, like, we're not looking at the Bible. I, I keep flashing Bible verses up there, so I'm hoping we get into that. So, um, but we are, uh, if you, uh, Chief Wigs. Is this one of those biblical programs where we talk about the Bible but never actually go and read what it says? I would encourage you to read it. In fact, if you go to my teaching series on divorce that I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I go into all these passages in extreme detail. So you can go check that out.
0: And uh, Chief Wiggs quotes Deuteronomy uh, twenty four one and uh, puts a quote up there. So. That's part of what he's talking about. Yeah,
1: and that is the background that I mentioned earlier to Jesus' comments in Matthew 5 and Matthew 19 that we had on the screen earlier. Uh, yes, I was told Jesus was referring to incest with Herod and his sister based on the Pharisee's question and not Hillel Shamel. That is another theory. Um, the dominant theory is that Jesus is, is commenting on these two schools of thought about divorce. Um but that would be another case for it not to be used for divorce. I personally um, think that the verse is more about the contrasting schools of Halal and Shemel. But I will leave that to you uh, to, know the, to look into that and to test that. That's just my own study of what I've had. Um, let's see. Can we go back to the, the one on top of the polygamy verse there? Above um, Chief Wigs, I, I
0: can't. Unfortunately, I can't scroll the live chat view. I don't have that oh. figured
1: out. Can you read it to me, Abby? Uh, Chief Wigs, there's a ver. Yes, is polygamy in the Bible? Yes, I see what you're saying. Yes, polygamy mm-hmm. is is in the Bible. However, uh, it is so not God's ideal.
0: So twenty Kebron says some scholars say Matthew 19 verses four through eight was referring to a betrothal period, and Pornea does not include adultery it is in its definition
1: pornea is my understanding of the word pornea in Greek is that it is it includes pretty much everything, every kind of sexual activity outside of marriage. And um adultery is does have its own word, but pornea I think would be an umbrella term that would include everything and including what we would call today, uh, porn. So, okay. Chief is, is telling us some Bible verses. I'm not really sure, uh, what that, what about pastoral? Go ahead, Laura. I think I was deleted. Oh, she deleted it. Yeah, okay. I didn't... Okay. That's fine. Okay. So fun with divorce. And again, I, I wanna encourage people to go watch my longer series on divorce, it's a few hours and yeah. they can get all the details there.
2: One of the things that um you said was you you don't want to be a prophet for divorce. Yeah. And I think that's awesome. Like, no one wants to sit up here and tell everyone who, you know, gets a headache because they got into a dispute with their spouse, get a divorce. Yeah. But we do want to make sure that as a church, we are proponents for health and healing and not standing in something that is killing you.
1: Yeah. Especially for abuse. Yeah. Um- Well, Chief, I guess we can uh, talk about polygamy. We're going to sign off here in just a few minutes, but maybe that's a a good topic for a future show. I would say that the scripture we just read from Matthew 19, Bob, maybe if you can put that card up there. Um, We just read Jesus's words in Matthew 19, quoting Genesis 2 about the man and the woman that... uh, haven't you heard at the beginning the creator made the male and female therefore what God has joined together let no one separate um, We there's a recognition throughout scripture and uh, uh, that God's ideal is one man and one woman he set it up from the beginning with Adam and Eve but the human heart is sinful in Genesis 3 and we see people deviate from that throughout scripture he, the human heart deviates from God's ideals all over Mm -hmm. scripture and um but his ideal is always for the one man and one woman and um that is how God has set up the system to work best and so what we would say as Christians is just because something's in the Bible doesn't necessarily mean it's something that God approves of there's many things that God does not approve of that are part of our very messy history so okay um he should be of one wife because he has so many other duties he cannot manage multiple that's a great it's a great uh, supplemental scripture okay how would you avoid to go the other extreme with divorce and remarriage I think that's a very thoughtful question Kevron um and that's always the place that people go when I have this conversation is well then are are people just gonna get divorced for any reason? You know, like I had three difficult days back to back and mm-hmm. you know now I want to get a divorce. I'm just trying to have this this conversation for the and I don't know if God just brings these people into my life or what, but seemingly inordinate number of people that are in difficult marriages that I run into that, that are really abusive marriages. And what I have found is that many people who are in abusive marriages don't actually even know they're in an abusive Mm -hmm. marriage for quite a long time. And there has to be some moment where you're in Starbucks talking and you realize this person doesn't just have a difficult marriage, they have an abusive marriage. And the one thread of abuse that I've always seen, I'd be curious what your thought is is Mm -hmm. in your history is control. It's control, emotional control, physical control, financial control. It can look a lot of different ways, but that's the threat of abuse. And so when you're sitting in Starbucks with somebody from your small group and you start noticing the extreme control, that's where to me, my red flags start going up of this person isn't in a hard marriage. I think they're in an abusive marriage and, um, that's a different conversation, I agree.
2: Um, control wasn't the word, but it is the word. I was thinking manipulation, but I was thinking those exact same scenarios where an abuser, he or she now manipulates you from being with your family and friends. You begin to isolate. Um, you no longer have control over your bank account, but you know, you, all of your finances need to be approved and gone through. And I know that many different marriages do their finances differently, but there comes a time, from what I've seen in, in abusive situations where control of finances is very deliberate so that you have no resource to be able to run.
1: Yeah. So it's a tough issue. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to go to the other extreme where we just become divorced for any reason. Yeah, definitely. But I think that I'm just trying to be a voice for people who are in genuinely... They're trapped in genuinely abusive marriages and they think there is no way out because God hates divorce and that's going to mean that God's going to hate them. Those are the people that I am trying to be a voice for. And we can debate all the biblical nuances and what that looks like. But I think it's a very important conversation to have that god's heart is not for people to get their head kicked in yeah every other day like that's not the father's heart for you there there's a way there's a way out and even if you don't you don't accept right away um going down the legal path of divorce at least get to safety at least get to a separation so that you can start to step back and start to have a conversation with the lord about next steps that that's kind of would be my response to that so so it's a tough issue it is yeah and we can
2: continue to talk about it and i'm sure we will
1: i'm sure we will but this is good because we're yes. getting people talking and that's really the purpose of the show is to get people talking about topics that often
2: aren't talked about in aren't, aren't
1: talked about in the church and we don't claim to have all the answers but we at least want to help be asking some questions yeah navigate a discussion yeah for sure so um this has been good we we got people talking we did (laughs) and we enjoyed uh having all of the interaction and is there any last comments there that all right good so let's um do the wrap here this is also professional while i um
2: Oh, I thought you meant like, yo, one, two, one, two, mic check. Oh, yeah, but never mind. I'm just going to leave that to someone (laughs) else who isn't me. I didn't know we were doing a rap, and so I was kind of caught off guard. But if you would ever like to.
1: Do you know how to rap? Nope. No? No. Even though you're black, you don't know how to rap. (laughs) You know, I've I've been
2: given that title many times. Like, hey, um, you should rap. No. No, I
1: shouldn't. No. I don't know how to rap. Are you sure? I'm very positive
2: you could be like mc white light
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh that is not correct
2: but you know i will just leave that here
1: okay oh chief Wiggs is telling us his belief the whole thing that a man can have only one wife is a modern day custom it's a heathen custom never practiced by the hebrews or indigenous peoples of the planet it's an interesting perspective in light of Jesus's words in Matthew 19. Uh, as God started with one man and one woman. In Eden, that was my yeah. point. Thanks, Kevron. Well, we, we I do want to let everyone know we're going to be dark next week. I'm going to be traveling. I'm going to be speaking in Florida at a conference. And so we will not be live streaming next week. So we will join you in two, two weeks. weeks, hopefully with our special guest to take on Juwad's question on human sacrifice Yes. Uh, And the death of Christ, which I think is a very provocative question. And I'm really glad that you asked that, Jawad. And we're glad that you're here and that we we love your comments. Hope you hang out with us a little bit more. Everyone's comments. Everyone's comments. Everyone. They are awesome. And um, I do want to invite you to connect with me on social media at Theology Mom. And I
2: don't have a dot com after my name, but it's coming. I feel it. (laughs) It's coming. (laughs)
1: And uh, we would love to uh, ask for your support in continuing to help us uh, with things here. Uh, You can donate to us at PayPal. And um, we do appreciate the people who have already invested in this ministry so that we can get some equipment and get this going. And we really appreciate uh, the support and just helps us continue to be able to bring resources i have some more extended teachings coming that i'm going to be posting to my youtube channel very soon and those are longer versions this is just sort of like a a fun conversation you can go on my youtube channel and see longer more detailed discussions of the biblical text that's not what this is this is no this is
2: just all the things (laughs) yes
1: exactly so we do hope that you will check out uh some more extended teachings there And thanks for joining us. And we look forward to continuing the conversation with you in two weeks. weeks. Bye-bye. God bless.